Due to some technical issues, the first 30 seconds of Todd's sermon were not recorded. We do apologize. You're talking really big bell bottoms, you know, about that big. Red platform shoes, you know, the Bee Gees would have been jealous. You know, major cuffs, you know, on the big bell bottoms, they were plaid. I forget what color shirt, but I know I had a big red bow tie. I mean, if you haven't been to a newcomer's thing at our house, you need to come just to ask Debbie to show you this picture. I don't know where it is, but she could probably find it somewhere. Just show you this picture with this major bow tie. (laughs) Well, some thoughts are so out of style that they're actually unthinkable. And I mean that word, they're unthinkable. And it's understandable to me that in Orange County culture today, the people all around us are a bit weary and a bit wary of Christianity. I mean, there's hardly a place in America, I mean, you could throw in Dallas or Houston or Nashville or Jacksonville or Orlando, there's a few other cities you could throw in, but basically Orange County, California, you know, home of, you know, major surf companies and just home really of cool religion. I mean, this is the home of doing church cool. I mean, it literally is. But we're now around people who have heard it all, seen it all, done it all, got the t-shirts and the old album covers to prove it, and kind of like we know it, you know, blah, blah, blah. From the rapture to charismatic Christianity to harsh fundamentalism to believe in nothing liberalism, I can actually empathize with people who are really feeling deep in their soul, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I can empathize so much that I was once a dropout. I mean, I, I've, I always tease people, I've never had a real job in my life. I've been in the ministry since I was 19. And I got to the place where I dropped out of church because not only did it start sounding like blah, 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 but I didn't see the kind of like life change and impact that I thought something like the resurrection should have. And so like many people, like millions of Christians today, I came to the conclusion, well, God's probably not the problem. I don't wanna think that I'm the problem, so really the church must be the problem. Or at least somehow my engagement with the church must somehow be the problem. So then what more can be said when everything's been said in the most Orange County coolest, hippest way possible? And I wanna take a shot at that because though Jesus is out of fashion compared to what he was in the late 60s through maybe sometime to the late 80s, about a 20 or 25 year period there where Jesus was really in fashion. And I don't know if you've noticed, but he is seriously out. Like you could get away with my bell bottoms easier at work than you could wearing something on your body that suggested you thought Jesus was cool. So what do you do? I mean, what can we say? Well, I think I just wanna say that maybe we don't know everything after all. Like for instance, I don't know if you guys ever think about these things, but, and this is maybe for my friend Roger. Um, So I get the speed of light, but what's the speed of dark? Do you guys ever think about that kind of stuff? Like, you know, maybe we don't know everything after all. Like, what happens if you get scared to half to death twice? (laughs) I don't know, I'm just wondering. Oh no, this is the one I wanted to actually give to Roger, my favorite rocket scientist. 
If your car could travel the speed of light, would your headlights still work? I mean, you know, it's just possible that we don't know everything. And the first friends of Jesus were a bit muddled in their thinking like that. They didn't know, really know what to make of what they were seeing and what they were experiencing. And in fact, as, as Dennis read to us a moment ago, the first reports of the resurrection were thought to be idle tales, which is a very strong slam in New Testament Greek. It's something like this is something a crazy person would say. And so the first reports of the resurrection seemed stupid, literally stupid, useless, and unbelievable. And so Jesus' first friends were perplexed. They knew that something did happen, something odd, something surprising. It caused them astonishment and fear and confusion, but they knew something did happen. And so all I wanna do this morning is to just say to you that based on the resurrection of Jesus, so just hear those six words, based on the resurrection of Jesus, I want to commend him to you this morning as worthy of you following. I, I know that we're all in different places with church. I know that we're all in different places with Christianity as a religion, as a world religion. I get that we're in a day when we're being forced to do something right and good, and that is to be respectful to the other world religions. I get that. I really am respectful to the other world religions. But I just gotta tell you, I've checked it out, and no one else rose from the grave. No one can touch it. It's not even close. I mean, I'm even happy to say that there are some wonderful insights for humanity in some of the other world religions, of course. But no one rose from the grave and remains alive and communicates with you. Come on, what do you think was just happening when you were singing and you could feel the presence of God? That is the risen Christ. That's not a dead person. A dead person can't communicate. Come on, this isn't rocket science here. A dead person cannot communicate. You were just communicating with somebody. You were sensing and knowing his presence. Why? Because he is actually alive. And he's capable of teaching you to do life in his way if you will become his student in life. Like literally, again, I'm all good for um, like discipleship manuals and booklets and that kind of stuff. I'm good with all that. But how about if Jesus became to you something like what your piano teacher was when you were 12? How about if he came to you something like a cherished coach or mentor? And that him being alive and you being alive we're actually able to have a kind of relationship together in which the risen Christ was your teacher for life. And so as Jesus rose, or excuse me, Peter rose and ran to the tomb and stooped and looked in and went home marveling at what he saw, I just wanna place a couple things before your mind this morning that make me unabashedly, unashamedly a Jesus freak. I mean, that's a hill I'm willing to die on. There are aspects of the church that we'd all go, kind of whatever. There are aspects of Christianity as a historic world religion that we have to go, yep, there are spots that are full of shame. But I will die on the hill of Jesus. And it is my intention as a man, and it is my intention as the leader of this church, that 
whatever little influence God might give us here in Southern California in the next few decades we have together, that we would be a faithful link in that chain from these scared, perplexed women and then the guys who ran after the women and to the next generation. Because look at me, it is not happening. Today, at most, 25% of Americans go to church regularly. It's starkly lower for young people. And regular today is now defined by three out of eight weeks. If you go three out of eight weeks, you're considered regular. Less than a quarter of Americans are regular. And amongst young people, it's less. To me, I am willing to say this is the absolute truth and that we know it in this very personal way because Jesus is alive. So let's just marvel at Jesus for a couple moments here. First of all, the resurrection demonstrated to Jesus' first followers and to the observers around them that what Jesus had taught about the availability of the kingdom through him was true. There had been lots of false messiahs around the time of Jesus, before and after him. Many of them were, were either killed by the Romans or driven away by the Jews. That was actually frequent occurrence. What made Jesus' teachings live for 2,000 years is that he rose from the grave. Had he not, he would have just been another in a long string of failed messiahs, of people who came and said sort of winsome things, and they were sort of popular rabbis. They were in fashion for a while, but their fashion soon dimmed when they were killed. But Jesus rose again. And that means what he taught us about the kingdom. Just think of the Sermon on the Mount. Think of the kingdom parables. Think of what's known as the Olivet Discourse where Jesus talks about the end of the age. What if that's all real true? What if actually turning your other cheek is the way to be human in the image of God? What if where this story ends is actually Revelation 22, five, where as we sang a minute ago, we will rule and reign with him forever and ever in the renewed heavens and the renewed earth. Secondly, I wanna say I'm just flat proud of Jesus. I'm just flat proud of him. Because even after his resurrection, he kept this really low-key, sort of humble approach to his being. Like, I don't know about y'all, but if it was me, I'd have gone back in my resurrection body to Pilate and said, you wanna talk now, dude? <laughs> wanna have that little talk about truth now? Right, and I'd have made sure TMZ was there, right? <laughs> and Steve was tweeting about it instantly, right? I would have just made sure that everybody saw how cool I was. But no, and this is why I love Jesus so much, it would have been out of his character. He couldn't have. And what I want you to get is an imagination that the narrow road is the good road. There's a way of being in which doing the right thing is intuitive and it becomes normal. Jesus would have had to speak out of his character to not from the cross say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. That was his essential character. Or do you picture Jesus saying that through gritted teeth? Like, oh, I know people are gonna write about this later. So, I, my dad wants me to say this, so, okay, for posterity's sake. But. 
No, it would have been near impossible for Jesus to exude hatred. I am proud of him. And I suggest that you stimulate your pride in him because it is a major key to passing on the faith. Every bit as important as apologetics, every bit as important as sort of personal piety, just the natural sort of exuding pride. Come on, if we can get this excited over Justin Timberlake 2020, like, oh, Justin has a new album out. Cool, I mean, I like Justin, fantastic. But I am like super proud of Jesus. He is my hero. And then at his second coming, the first Corinthians reading told us this morning, that there'll be this grand consummation after all this crushing opposition, Jesus will hand over his kingdom to God the Father. And when everything and everyone is finally under God's rule, the son will step down. Do you hear that? That's why he didn't go back and taunt Pilate. That's why he forgave people from the cross because his essential nature is one to step down, to incarnate himself into what's real. But at some point that will show that God's rule through that is absolutely comprehensive. That means all you Democrats, you're not gonna pull that off. All you Republicans, forget it. We can hardly win an election, right? Or whoever you or we are. No Marxist is gonna do this. No celebrity and no dictator with a nuke. It is the Lord Jesus Christ who is finally gonna bring the world to its consummated end. That is the word of the Lord. That is is the truth. Because if Christ has been raised, what this meant to his first followers as they thought it through and as you know, Christian thinkers have worked it through for 2,000 years, what we know now is that, well, what this means then is all the rest is just kind of over but the shouting, as they say. Now, that seems a bit counterintuitive because we've got all the big ups and downs of 2,000 years of Christian history, but that's what's actually true. God, through the resurrection of Christ, has won the decisive victory over the forces of darkness. This is one of the great riches of Pauline theology. This is the, one of the things that Paul spent so much of his walk with Jesus working through, that this is actually the decisive victory. So that when Jesus said, on this rock, I will build my church, now I don't mean this in any kind of unkind way, I'm not upset at anybody, but I'm just telling you, no one before the 1500s at the Council of Trent would have thought that that meant Peter and his successors. The rock on which the church in Orange County in Southern California will be built is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He is the rock and his body, which includes the Orthodox and the Catholics and us protesters, us Protestants. It includes the whole thing, and it's on Christ and his body that God's work will be built. So I just wanna take a moment now to say, kind of representing Holy Trinity Church here, but I have a real passion that the chain of the gospel carries on in Orange County in my generation, and that we pass on to future generations of Hispanic immigrants and Asian immigrants, an aging white population, and the transient of our students in major universities all around us, that we pass on 
this story, the first observers of the resurrection, they remembered what Jesus had said and were puzzled about it. Then they saw Jesus. Then they went and testified to the other disciples. The disciples testified to others. Many then believed who passed it down through the centuries to a chain passed on to us that I want to pass on. My sense for doing this, because I think it's biblically right, and because I tend to think deeply about something called missiology, which just simply means the study of missions and how the gospel carries forth in other cultures. Because I think of those two things deeply, I think the way on here is not ever increasing ways of being cool. That's over, it's like bell bottoms and a bad bow tie, it's just done. But here's what's never out of fashion. The transformation of our existing lives into Christ-likeness. That's our tactic, that's our strategy, that's the one thing that we are all about is saying, Jesus, we are crazy about you. And we think you have the best information possible on what it means to be human. We love and acknowledge and respect economists. We have high regard for honest politicians. Yeah? Um, right? But we think actually, and my, my favorite missiologist, Leslie Newbigin, once said this, that he thought in a culture that had once been evangelized, okay, I'm almost done here, so give me your attention. <laughs> Leslie thought that in a culture that had been previously evangelized and then rejected God, which, by the way, had never happened in the history of Christianity, until Western Europe and North America became post-Christian. And so Leslie thought that the best, most powerful explanation of the gospel in such a setting would be a community of people who lived as if they believed the gospel and the Lord of that gospel was actually true. So never look at me as a follower of Dallas Willard or Eugene Peterson, or Richard Foster, or Henry Nouwen. I am not. I am a follower of Jesus, seeking the transformation of my life into his likeness so that I can actually be like him to others. Those other men are just mentors to me to help me into that kind of way of life, but I am a follower of Jesus. What I'm actually trying to do is what Paul suggested in Colossians 3 when he said to the Colossians, here's how you get serious about living the resurrected life. Set your minds and hearts on things above, not on earthly things. Put to death, mortify sexual immorality, impurity, and lust. Rid yourselves of anger and rage, malice and slander. How are you gonna do that? And if that's, the, if that's the interpretive key of the gospel to our culture today, what is your plan for doing that? Do you have any plan for ridding your life of anger, rage, malice, greed, and sexual lust? This is what Paul was saying is the nature of the resurrected life. It's not about works, it's not about legalism, it's not about hand-wringing, self-beating ourselves up. It's about the joy of knowing that Jesus Christ lives and he wants to disciple us into just that kind of life. A life where we could clothe ourselves with compassion, as Paul said. Clothe our lives with kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, and love which binds them all together. Paul said, when you're living the resurrection life, you're letting the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. 
You're letting the message of Christ dwell in you richly so that whatever you do, whether in word or deed, you do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. So if you wanna know what your pastor is up to, that's what I'm up to. It's all I think about, it's all I really care about because everything else for me flows out of that. How to be a husband, how to be a father, how to be a friend, how to be a boss, how to be a subordinate, everything flows out of that. Without that working in my life, nothing else works. So in that sense, if you come follow me and what Holy Trinity's up to in the next few decades, what we're up to is this. Christ is risen, and that changes everything. And as we become his followers, we become then agents of that change, and we become an explanation of the gospel that Southern California needs right now. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen.